I'm Steph. And I'm Drew. And you're listening to Spirited Spirits. Before we get started, what are we sipping on tonight? So we are drinking a local-ish mm. wine. Um, it's actually over in Indiana, Turtle Run Winery. Um, and we had gone and visited, uh, I guess, about a month or so ago. Right. And uh, so we're just sipping on some wine tonight, keeping it easy. We didn't want to do a complicated cocktail. Um, this story is going to be pretty pretty horrific and complicated as it is. So. Yeah. Yeah, so um, I'm going to go ahead and read a disclaimer here before we get started. This episode contains discussions of sexual assault and murders of children. This episode is intended for mature audiences only, and as always, listeners' discretion is always advised. Um, so, you know, Stephanie, when she does hers, her episodes, it's more of the supernatural stuff where I'm always kind of investigating more of um, why I feel like man is the real monster. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we talk about supernatural stuff often, but I've lately have been leaning into, you know, a lot of the demons and the ghosts that we talk about are, are fine, but it seems like, a, you know, man is the one that completes these like horrible crimes that are, horrific well under the influence maybe under the influence of a demonic maybe i mean but so um let's dive in Mm -hmm. okay it was supposed to be the adventure of the summer 100 girl scouts descended upon camp scott in mays county oklahoma with exciting plans of fishing hiking and swimming 10 year old doris denise milner was hesitant to attend her parents urging her onto the bus with a promise that if she felt unwell, they would pick her up, no questions asked. On the first night, June 12, 1977, an ominous thunderstorm rolled in. The counselors rushed the girls into their tents for shelter from the pouring rain. The tents were in a half-moon shape around the counselors' sleeping quarters so they can keep an eye on them. Milner's tent that she shared with eight-year-old Lori Lee Farmer and nine-year-old Michelle Heather Goose was the farthest from the counselors, 86 yards to be exact, and obstructed from the view, or from view due to the shower house. Counselor Carla Wilhite was awoken in the middle of the night by guttural moaning. Mm. She got out of her bed, flashlight in hand, to investigate. She found nothing thinking it was an animal. At 3.30 a.m., campers in one tent were awoken by screaming and someone crying out for their mother. Unsure what to do, the young girl stayed silent in their tent. Well, I'm imagining they probably thought that it was a joke. A joke, or they were probably too scared to... To actually go and investigate. I mean, they were kids. Right. So, 
Um, Counselor Carlo Woodheit arose at 6 a.m. to get ready for the day. Gathering her toiletries, she started to trek to the shower house. As she walked, she discovered the three bodies of Milner, Farmer, and Goose stuffed into their own sleeping bags, sexually assaulted and murdered. Mm. So, yes, Steph, like I said, this one's going to be um, uncomfortable to discuss. Yeah, anything with kids, it, right. I can't handle it. It's just, it's devastating. Right. So, um, again, when I was, like, doing my research on, you know, this topic of man being the monster, I typed in, like, summer camp murder case, just because we're slowly winding down in the summer months, and I came across this one. Um, it was definitely not easy to research or to discuss. However, I, I do think it's an important one. Yeah. So the police started their investigation of the area. There was a treasure trove of evidence left behind, including a large red flashlight that laid on top of the bodies with a fingerprint partially smudged on the lens. However, it was too smudged to be identified. Newspapers was stuffed inside the flashlight's casing in order to prevent the flashlight from rattling. The flashlight also had a black trash bag taped on the lens with a hole so it would only like send out a small little beam of light. Hmm. The detectives also found a nine and a half footprint in the blood of the tent where the girls were sleeping. The detectives scoured the four hundred. Is that nine and a half inches? Or no, that would be like really tiny, right? Or wait, is that nine and a half like yeah, nine... size? Yeah, like a size, nine and a half. Shoe size. Yeah. Okay. 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 Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to be clear. I was like nine and a half inches, or like. Yeah. So, um, the feet, or the the feet, the detectives scoured the 400 (laughs) acre camp, finding rope, a woman's glasses and duct tape. Then they found the cave. The the cave. As the detectives entered the cave, they realized that someone had been living there. Newspapers matching the newspaper and the flashlight had been strewn about. As detectives used their flashlights, they found words scratched on the cave walls reading, the killer was here. Bye bye, fools. Seventy-seven six seventeen, which I think is the date. So oh, okay, June, but it was like seventy-seven is the year. Yeah, June seventeenth. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's a weird way to because I'm used it's to a, like yeah. six seventeen seventy-seven. Right. So the detectives were determined to catch this guy. The media was already in a frenzy. You know, they descended on the camp, attempting to find out what happened to these three girls. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was a lot of pressure. Yeah. They interviewed a landowner who stated that he heard quite a bit of traffic up and down the remote road near the camp. The detectives rounded up the counselors to interview. Um, and this is from the counselors. So months earlier, during an on-site training before the scouts arrived, there were strange occurrences at the camp. A counselor found tents slashed open. Other counselors found personal items missing and some heard strange noises off in the distance. One counselor told the detective that when she had attended the on-site training, her personal items were stolen, as well as the donuts left over in a box. What? Inside the box was a crude handwritten note reading, We are on a mission to kill three girls in tent one. The counselor went to the director who wrote it off as a prank. Whoa, whoa, whoa. We. We, we are on a mission. Right. That's... Something to keep in mind as we go so through this. Is it, I'm, now I'm wondering, is this a multiple killers or is this a person with multiple personalities? Right. Okay. Right. 
So while investigating the cave, detectives came across two important pieces of evidence, two torn wedding photographs. The surrounding community was in mourning, but also demanded answers. A monster walked among them. Surely not one of their own would complete such acts of horror. The photographs were traced back to a man who had escaped the Mays County Jail, one that the police had been chasing for a long time, Jean Leroy Hart. Jean Leroy Hart was born November 27, 1943. He was a football star in high school, well-liked. After high school, he had run-ins with the law. He escaped in 1973 from Mays County Jail, serving time for a burglary charge. He had a history of violence, being convicted of the rape of two pregnant women. Mm. The photographs were constructed back together and were traced back to Hart, who served as the photographer's assistant while on a work release program. Interesting. So they found these images of wedding photographs Mm -hmm. torn, and because he was the photographer's assistant... Yes. Why would he leave that kind of evidence behind to be so obvious? Right. It seems kind of obvious, right? Right. And, And... what was the significance of leaving that behind? I, it's right. just interesting. Go ahead. But where was he? He had already escaped four years prior. So the media released his name and the public was frantic. They had to get this monster off the street. The public started to theorize, that he also started to theorize that he had a supernatural aspect to him mm. due to um, Hart was a part of the Cherokee Nation. Oh, okay. So they thought he had some native, quote, this is, quote, Native American magic that could, he could turn into a bird to evade the authorities. Like a thunderbird or something? Yeah. Okay. Right. Um, At one point, the search was given up on and there were no leads. So volunteers from counties over assisted the police in finding heart, scouring the neighboring Cherokee County, 50 miles from Camp Scott. Hart was part of the Cherokee Nation, like I said, so it possibly fit. Uh, They utilized Native American volunteers who would go undercover into the bars to get information from the community about the whereabouts of Hart. So they would like sit, they would have, um, you know, parts of like the, like there was actually like cops and like, you know, volunteers that were Native American that wanted to help find this guy. Mm -hmm. You know, if they, if it, you know, was actually a member of their own tribe, Mm -hmm. um, so they were like, you know, there was a couple of them that would go in and like, you know, hey, like, you know, I'll, you know, let me get you a beer. You know, this is crazy. It's happening in our town. You know, what's going on? And like, oh, yeah, they think it's a Cherokee man. But I don't know, like, no, if it actually is, it could be like somebody else. And and so they were like gathering information. Um, so they actually ended up getting a lead in 1978 um, that he was in this home of a Cherokee medicine man and mm-hmm. he had been hiding out. Um, so... They found out where this was and they had, you know, all the cops kind of descend upon this home home. Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, he was finally caught six months after the murders. Okay. So, so what I'm thinking is they have formulated in their, this guy, if he really did what this history of violence and was convicted of raping two pregnant women, he's, he's an asshole, but it also sounds like. They came, this was their main lead, and they were going to get him regardless. Like, they're right. using, yes, it's interesting that he, these two torn 
wedding photographs and he happened to be the photographer's assistant. Right. But it feels too on the nose. Yeah. It feels like they, it, what does Sherlock say when he's like, um, it's like you don't, shoot. Anyway, the point here is I think the police had their guy. All they had to do was like prove that it was him so they captured him and they're going to try and make the evidence fit they're trying to make yeah they're trying to make the evidence fit. it's almost like trying to fit a square peg in a circle hole like or something like that like you know it's right. not it's not like this guy still did like something terrible yes he's and, still an asshole if that if he really was raping these, yes these and so he, and so he well and that's and the burglary charge is bad yeah and yeah. so he was he was still not a good guy but we don't know i won't keep going here <laughs> but there's just like some questions to this mystery Mm -hmm. so hart's trial for the murder of the three girls began a year later um let me tell you it's kind of a circus oh lord okay okay so the local sheriff stated that he was a thousand percent sure they had their guy this was the man responsible for the murders however there was quite a bit of evidence that the police department had maybe staged some of the evidence considering that hart had escaped they assumed he was guilty and planted the, the photos. photos that's the what I was going to say. Yes. The wedding photos. It was too right. on the nose. So according to the documentary I watched, um, the defense attorneys talked to a jailer, Alan Little, who stated that those photos were on Pete Weaver's desk, who his, he was the, um, the sheriff. Mm. Pete Weaver's desk when Hart escaped. And he would take them out every so often, slam them on the desk, and say, I'm going to get that son of a bitch if that's the last thing I do. Mm. So how were these photos in the cave at the time of the investigation if they were in the sheriff's desk, even after Hart escaped? He wanted to find something to book him on for something to keep him in jail. Like, to get him back into jail, I guess, because he had escaped. Right. So it it seems like, like you said, this stuff happened. um, The police department panicked. Because, you know, this horrible crime happened and there's all this media frenzy and they mm-hmm. had to have somebody quick. Yeah. And so this guy had already been escaped. He fit the M.O. of these rapes that occurred. Mm-hmm. And so they're like, OK, well, it's definitely this guy. Let's go find him. Right. And so we found we, you know, if if they did plant the evidence at the cave, then it kind of like, oh, OK, well, we have our guy. We're looking for this guy. We don't need to be searching everywhere else anymore. We're, right. We're focused on this guy. So the newspapers ran the story of testimony points to possible evidence planted at the scene during the trial. Mm-hmm. Okay. So two days into the trial, the prosecution still hadn't presented evidence that Hart was the alleged killer. There was a semen sample found. However, this was 10 years before DNA testing. So there wasn't a lot they could say except for, hey, this is probably the same guy who committed these murders. During the trial, it also came out that the public had seen another man near the scene, William Stevens. Mm. The defense had a witness, Joyce Payne, testify that she and her son were at their home shortly after the murders had occurred. And that's when Stephen came to their home with scratches on his arm and red stains on his shirt or his oh. shoes. Oh, the defense also linked Stevens to a similar flashlight found at the scene, stating that Payne's son repaired the flashlight and could identify it. Interesting. Yeah, just wait. Okay. So this is where this part of the story takes a little bit of a turn. Payne's boyfriend, Dwayne Peters, was a cellmate of Stevens, 
who alleged that Steven stated, I killed three girls while on war game hallucinogens. What? So he essentially admitted it. Well, just wait. Okay. Okay. Stevens the entire time stated that he was innocent and was working in Seminole at the time of the murders, to which his employer did corroborate his his alibi. Okay. Okay. Dwayne Peters later confessed that his girlfriend had fed him bits and pieces of the story so that his confession would sound more enticing as they were attempting to get Peters freed or transferred to an Oklahoma prison. So this so we have this like the police focusing on Hart. But then we also have this situation where this woman she does a t- like gives a testimony mm-hmm. that oh like no like my boyfriend is in jail mm-hmm. and this guy his cellmate you know confessed that he killed three little girls on hallucinogens mm-hmm. and at one point you know he came to our house with blood all over him like right around that time so it could have been this guy and the reason why they did that was so that in their mind they thought oh well if i do this confession then like her boyfriend would get transferred to a lower like jail or freed so they did a false testimony yeah i mean well i so i found that sherlock quote i just wanted to mention it real quick it is a capital mistake to theorize before you have all the evidence it biases the judgment so this is where i think that the police department and they're not the only ones guilty of it but it sounds like to me they had a theory right and then they just try to fit the evidence to prove that theory and here's potentially another potential suspect yeah. Although it sounds like maybe it was, so they shouldn't have jumped to conclusions. They should have really investigated further, right? To see all the evidence and then build a profile around who could be the potential suspect based on the evidence that's actually there. Right. So a verdict was ready was like was reached um, on March thirty first, nineteen seventy nine. Okay. Uh, so Gene Leroy Hart was acquitted of all charges and he was deemed innocent. Interesting. I'm surprised he was he was right. I was I was surprised too because I felt like with you know kind of what I was reading and then I watched the documentary. The documentary goes into a little bit more like why there was some doubt there, which I Mm -hmm. discussed. But when I was reading some of the articles, it's like, oh man, like this guy, you know, it, it reads that you know he had this history. He was in the area. Mm-hmm. You know, he had been, um, he had escaped. So he kind of fit all that stuff and just right. reading it on black and white. But there's, there's definitely some, you know, other, like, there's just some other stuff there. Right. Like, that, that seems like it was going on. There was on. questions, I guess. Yeah. Which... So I think it was like the lack of evidence and like some things that were like leaked to the press too. I mean, um, you know, like we discussed, there were some allegations that the police planted, planted some evidence yeah. and they came and there was like possibility of another killer. Mm-hmm. So there was just a lot of questions. Mm-hmm. So Hart was still booked into the Oklahoma state penitentiary to serve 305 years left of his 308 year sentence for mm-hmm. his previous rape charges and escape charges. And so one thing that I, like, I didn't write down in, in the script that, like that, discussing this mm-hmm. is that just kind of the way the two kind of crimes were linked like the way the women that were raped were taken from a bar and like taken out to the woods and he like tied them up against a tree mm-hmm. and did what he did and left pretty much left them for dead okay did they survive 
Yes. Okay. And so then the young girls, there was one girl that was tied to a tree. But they were killed. They were killed. So there was a little bit of connection there. That but I'm yeah, sure. but I mean, but I'm assuming that a lot of killers tie their victims up or tie them to a tree. Like, I would think that would be a... Right. You can't really connect it and say, well, this person's tied up versus this person's tied. Right. They're, they're going to tie up their victims in right. some way. So, um, so fast forward to 1989. Okay. Okay. So DNA testing was conducted um, that showed three out of the five probes matched Hart's DNA. So they had picked oh. had picked some stuff off of like they had saved all of the um, the stuff from the crime scene. Well, that was smart. <clears throat> so they saved there was a a pillowcase, um, a sleeping bag, and then something else. But like they, there was a, like a semen stain, there yeah. was a hair follicle, and there was like one other piece of physical evidence. Where back in the seventies, they didn't have the ability to do any of that. But they knew testing. in the future they may have that capability. Correct, because it, it was it was coming down the pike. I mean, it was like seventy seven, and I think DNA started like early. It wasn't 80s. Till, no, it was the nineties. I thought. Well, not in, or I guess eighty nine. Yeah. But okay, but I think. For really strong DNA evidence, I think, was the 90s. Right. So, um, so statistically, DNA from 1 in 7,700 Native Americans would obtain, like, these same results. Okay. So it was, like, a pretty, like, it's like it's it's a, a large number. Uh, like, you know, they, they, like, only 1 in, like, 700 or 7,700. So, um in 2008, authorities also conducted a new DNA testing on stains found on the pillowcase, results which proved inconclusive because the samples were too deteriorated to obtain a DNA profile. Hmm. In 2017, um, $30,000 in donations were raised by the sheriff in order to do a new DNA test using the latest advances in testing. And then in 2022, authorities made public that the DNA evidence strongly suggested Hart's involvement. Okay. So at that point, there was, it, it strongly suggested. So I don't know how they were able to get that if it had deteriorated for that long. Mm -hmm. So there's a little question about that. So the sheriff at the time, his name is um, Mike Reed of Mays County, said, unless something new comes up, something brought to light we are not aware of, I am convinced where I'm sitting of Hart's guilt and involvement in this case. Reed said, uh, the results of the DNA test have been known since 2019, but he did not go public with the findings until asked to do so by the victim's families. Um, so, like, while the DNA evidence seems to point to Hart's involvement, the case is still deemed to be unsolved. Okay, so I'm curious if they brought this DNA evidence to Hart. Is he still alive? Oh, actually, I, I think I skipped actually skipped over that part. So, when he went to the penitentiary yeah like two years into his his uh stay he was working out in the yard and he died from a heart attack oh so, so he, he is already passed away okay so he's facing judgment elsewhere so all right um but okay so well, i'm just curious right what what how he might feel now like if he would confess based on the dna evidence right that that's a good question but he doesn't have that ability right now. i know um so like there's there's just like a, this case is weird it's like it's a horrific case 
And then it, it seems like it points to heart, you know, with the DNA. But then there's also a lot of questions. People are saying like they, you know, like back in the time or where, where it happened, like they heard multiple cars going up and down. There was a note that said, we are looking right, for Right, that's what Hart it, yeah. had, had, I, don't, I didn't read anything about Hart having any type of history of like multiple, multiple personalities or DID or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So so where did the we come into? Yeah, was explain there, what DID is really quick. Dissociative identity disorder. Okay. It's pretty much multiple personality disorder, but that's, but that's just the, that's new, the name of it. Yeah. So, um, so where did the we come in? Like that's that was the thing that when I read it, I was like, oh, then, then there's multiple people. Yeah, I think it's I think it's strange that we had things happening before the campers even arrived. Right. Um, like the tearing of the of the tent and the note left behind and donuts. Like the it almost sounds like pranks that kids like teenage boys would do. Right. And then for that for those girls to the what happened to them. I'm not saying it couldn't have been hard. It sounds like DNA evidence proves it could be. Um, maybe it was two separate incidents. Maybe the whole pranks with the tearing of the tent and the note was something totally different. It could have been. But it, it feels too coincidental. Right. You know? like. Yeah. Why would that... Why would someone make that kind of joke and then it actually occurred like that actually happened i know that's it that's and was that the um cabin they were in well Didn't no they, they say cabin they, one or something? they said tent one tent one that wasn't the tent they were in oh so well then that's interesting right like but i don't know they weren't in tent one because i don't think it was i don't think it was labeled by numbers it was labeled by um there was a name for the tent i forgot what it was called it was like kanaki or something like that Hmm. <clears throat> so it wasn't by number it was by a certain name that the, that was their tent interesting right so um like i said there is a documentary that i watched it's called uh, keeper of the ashes on hulu um the reason why it's called keeper of the ashes is because i guess that girl scout camp which i didn't know this did you ever go to girl scout camp once or twice okay <laughs> okay so do you know what keepers of the ash means I'm sure I did, maybe when I was in fourth or fifth grade, but I can't remember now. Please tell me. So apparently the last night that you are at Girl Scout camp, you have a fire. Okay. And then when those ashes cool, you put them in like a mason jar or something like that. Oh. And there's one girl that's like keeper of the ash until the next camp. Oh, I definitely know. And I guess you put those ashes in the next fire i don't i don't know maybe that's a thing in oklahoma <laughs> so no I, just, I don't i don't remember that being a thing when i went to girl scout camp but maybe it was and i just wasn't aware right. of it so um so this documentary is interesting it's actually hosted by christian chenoweth um and the reason why that is is that when she was eight or nine years old she lived in oklahoma and she was supposed to go to Camp Scott that weekend because she was a Girl Scout. Mm. But she got sick and her mother didn't let her go. Interesting. So she kind of, she has a connection to that. Because and this is Kristen Chenoweth of um, Wicked fame. Yes. She was... Um, Pushing Daisies. She was also, oh, my favorite show ever, Pushing Daisies. Yeah. So she had to stay home. Um, the documentary is interesting. I, I feel like it... It does discuss a lot of theories and discusses the evidence and kind of the 
push and pull from the community, the Cherokee Nation, mm-hmm. and you know the evidence um, in the circus at the trial. Mm-hmm. But then they also really focuses on Christian Chenoweth a lot, um, <clears throat> where I feel like she doesn't have she has a connection to it, <clears throat> but she didn't know these three girls. Um, so there's a part at the end where, I mean, she's singing oh. for like maybe five minutes. And it, I love her. I love I, her. But it doesn't fit. It, 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 it feels like it's like focusing more on her mm-hmm. than these three girls that were murdered. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, don't, I didn't like that. I felt like that it didn't need that. Like she could have been in it, but she didn't need to be the, the anchor through the entire four episodes. Right. And like she said, I came back here to find out what happened. I was like, well, no, you didn't. You came back here for a paycheck. So let's be honest. Hey, so nice. <laughs> but I mean, I, I, I get it. I it's just, just, it just feels like it was a little. But because because it keeps going back to her, mm-hmm. so but and but these they talk to the parents too and how they're grieving. I wonder what they think of the documentary. That's a good question. Um, and and it's really sad because you know, and a lot of these, a lot of the parents of these kids have have gone into activism for you know victims' rights, um, you know, children children's rights you know if you know they are killed and those things mm-hmm. um and so but it, it's a very there's very interesting discussions yeah so yeah all right so um steph what are your thoughts i have so many thoughts um just like going back like i don't understand like why were the girls left alone well, they weren't left alone. They so they were. The, I don't know if you heard me in the beginning, but they're. I wish I could draw it for you, but like yeah, their yeah. their tents were in like a half moon, and they, they were, were able to get out. And they they were yeah. They all like they were all in the all these tents, and it was like the um, counselors were like their their cabin. I think mm. was like in the middle, but the way it was done, the tent with the three girls that got killed. You couldn't see it from the the. See, I don't like the, that. And yeah, you couldn't see it from the counselor's cabin, and then also it was obstructed by the shower house a little bit. Yeah, I see. I don't. I just <coughs> don't like how that was set up. I mean, I, and anytime um, you're in a a camp that's known to host Girl Scouts or Boy Scouts or who you know any young children, I, I just think there should be vigilance on the part of the right. the adults. Um, to be really careful and and um, cautious and watch like a hawk those children. Um, right. And then I mean the whole thing that happened with the Boy Scouts too. I mean, I mean, so like I you asked if I went to Girl Scout camp and I did um, for sure. I know one time I probably went a second time as well. But I remember one time in particular we were in tents on like platforms, like wooden platforms. That's how um, these were set up. I looked at pictures of the tents. Okay. Um, But I would like to think that my Girl Scout leader um, would be aware of what was going on. And, like, if we were sneaking out or if we were leaving or if there was something going on, I feel like she was astute enough to know, like... Well, these these were counselors. These were not, like, the... the, These weren't, like, adults. Right. These were teenagers. Teenagers, yeah. And the one that actually... It, it, that's what's really heartbreaking in the documentary is the one that found they interviewed mm. Carla 
a couple times and the trauma that she, she has from oh, finding these kids. I can only because imagine. I don't, she, I don't even want to think about well, it. Well, like, it's, it's good to discuss just because kind of how her journey was. Like, she discussed that, you know, how terrible it was to discover that day and... Um, and she said, like, you know, the grief and the trauma kind of comes in waves. Um, she still is friends with some of the counselors from that year. Mm. And they call each other, you know, often. It's like, hey, I'm really struggling right now. Well, and I and don't so, understand how they also didn't hear. Like, I would think <clears throat> that they would have made some noise. Like, it would have been. They did. That's the thing. Is it, like, at the beginning, when I discussed that, I think they could hear him completing those acts. Because there was some guttural So you think that's, I know, so that's what they heard, the girls screaming. But why didn't the counselors go do anything? I don't know. I think, I mean, they're teenagers. They're kids, too. I know. And so I think think that's the thing we kind of have to give some grace here is because these are, these aren't adults, counselors. These, like, that are like, oh, my God, something bad is happening. I need to check on these kids. These are counselors. But there wasn't any type of an adult who was there. I'm sure the director. I'm sure the director, but I mean, I don't. I didn't read that the director was in the same house. So okay, I'm just saying, in a perfect world, there would have been an adult who would have been the one that you call in an emergency and you say something's happening. I'm hearing screaming. I'm hearing guttural. The counselor didn't hear the screaming. It was the little girl. I know that's what I was saying. But why didn't the counselors? That's. I, I don't know. You're getting frustrated. I, I am getting frustrated. You. I know I can't change anything about the situation. Right. Um. It's just. It's just devastating. And I, you know, as a parent, I have a really hard time with these kinds of stories. I know. So I think. I think that's that's the. Um, I think I'm going to end my, like this is the end of the uh, man is the real monster part because I will tell you like researching this one I was like this is. This is a lot. This is going to be the end? I thought you were going to do one more that I we talked about. I don't know. Maybe. I'll have to think about it. This Maybe no more murders of kids. <laughs> yeah, please stay away from so, that. It I is th- really hard to hear about. I know. And so I think that's that's the thing is like, you know, I think the spooky shit, like the the ghost stuff is, is fine. But I think some of the true crime stuff is a little more, like yeah. a little hard to research. Yeah. Um, one thing, though, about this case that I found interesting though, it, like, like kind of nowadays is just the way, um, in the documentary, the new sheriff, he actually reconstructed the, the scene. So he actually went out to, Oh, they tore down the camp. The camp's not like after this, it was demolished. Like there's no more camp, mm-hmm. but he went out there and like, he reconstructed the entire scene. and was like, you know, this is, this is that, and this is like how many meet, like how many yards this tent was for this tent, um, and, and just like seeing like well how could it like if the how could the killer get from this part to this part? Mm-hmm. So I found that a little interesting about how he was able to reconstruct it, um, and then also the DNA stuff because they go into a little bit more detail about exactly what tests they used to to find the DNA. Um, mm. So I, I I think the D, the documentary is still something to watch if this case does interest you it's a four-parter <clears throat> so it's not like you know it's not too much okay well so listeners what do you think of the case of the girl scout murders do you believe it's still unsolved or do you think that it was heart right yeah heart um do you think do you have any ideas um for any other true crime related stories that we should tell preferably ones not about children <laughs> 
Um, also, please remember, you can email us at contactspiritedspirits at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Um, and don't forget, follow us on Twitter at Spirited Spirits and on Instagram at Spirited underscore Spirits underscore podcast. We're now on threads through there. Yeah. Um, and let's be honest, we're not really posting anything on Twitter really anymore. Yeah. We, it's, I think it's not even called Twitter anymore. It's called X. Oh, that's right. Just and, this week they yeah, changed it. And Elon Musk also, he, he sucks. So we're not going to. Careful. If you, Elon Musk, <laughs> if you're listening, you suck. So, <laughs> um, anyways, probably some algorithm that like picks up on his. That's fine. Mentioned. That's fine. Listen to our podcast, and you suck. Anyway, um, so we hope you liked tonight's episode, even though that it was hard to to, to listen to, probably. Yeah. Um, but at least you found it interesting and informative. Yeah, yeah, and also just the idea of you know sometimes it's not as black and white as some of these cases seem. There's definitely some gray area. Mm-hmm. And I think where the gray area kind of meets, that's where it can get interesting. Yeah. Um, so again, we hope you enjoyed tonight's episode. We hope you will join us next week as we talk about spirits and we sip on spirits. Bye. Bye. <laughs>